Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for our Facebook Live focused on the top five most scandalous frauds of 2018. We are excited to chat today. The last time we did this, uh, we only did a podcast, and so right. we're pumped to actually talk to you in person about some of the stories that you may have heard about or read this year in the news. And you can also find a full write-up of what we're talking about today on fraudmagazine.com slash 2018 top five frauds. Fraud Mag is putting up a collection of these on their website and you can go even more in depth uh, online. I am joined here with Bruce Doris, and he is our president and CEO. I forgot to tell you, I'm Mandy Moody, our content manager. And Bruce is going to let you know how we came up with these. You know, we didn't just throw a dart at the wall, right? Right. Uh, as Mandy mentioned, you know, we've done this in podcast format before. John Gill, our vice president of education, and, and along with Mandy, we've put these podcasts together, and they were pretty popular. And so earlier in the year, we came up with the idea, well, Let's get a, a list together. You see lists for everything else. Let's uh, put a list together for the, you know, the top frauds of this particular year. So we started earlier in the year at least getting an idea of what we wanted to do. Just a few weeks ago, we came up with a, a list of the, really the top 10 or so stories of 2018 and then took that list and surveyed our membership through the advisory council. Got a lot of feedback uh, from them as to what were the top five frauds, not within one particular region, but around the world to reflect the 85,000 members that we have in the association. The criteria, I mean, you would think that we could look at it quantitatively, like, well, we've got this many billion euro or this many billion dollars missing, therefore this would be the top five fraud or one of the top five frauds. But we wanted it to reflect how this impacted lives, how this impacted society, and really how it impacted you and your daily job in terms of fraud prevention, deterrence, and investigations, you know, depending on which side of uh, the, you know, the field, in, in the field of fraud examination that you are. So all of these were relevant in coming up with these top five scandalous frauds of, of 2018. So I'll turn it back over to Mandy. We can talk about our, our very first one. So in honor of our first fraud that we're going to discuss, I wore a black turtleneck today. And Bruce, do you know why I wore a black turtleneck I think today? that you're channeling your inner uh, Elizabeth Holmes here. I am, so. if you can imagine. I went for the more festive holiday uh -huh, spirit. Uh -huh. uh, Mandy goes for the uh, you know, looking like yeah. the, the accused Holmes. fraudster. Yeah. Yeah. The first fraud that we voted on was Theranos. Theranos had been in the news for a few years, but this year the SEC charged Theranos and its founder and CEO, Elizabeth Holmes, with fraud. Elizabeth Holmes started out as a darling of Silicon Valley. She was known for her black turtlenecks, channeling her own Steve Jobs. And she was known as an innovator, as someone who came up with this new blood testing technology. You could test a tiny amount of blood with no needles, which I know sounds pretty good to a lot of people, no needles. As with a lot of things, as we know that sound too good to be true, it, it actually was too good to be true. The technology was faulty, it wasn't passing quality control tests, 
And thanks to a whistleblower, along with a few other whistleblowers who came forward after, this was reported to regulators. There was a, a news article, and there's a book now by John Carreyu called Bad Blood. But what is important about this is the whistleblower, and the whistleblower in this case is so unique. His name is Tyler Schultz. I think he was 25 years old when he came forward. He worked at Theranos. His grandfather, so we're going to get into some fun facts, is George Schultz, and he was on the board of Theranos. He's also the former Secretary of State under Reagan. Going way back now. Uh, yeah, going way back. I mean, before I was born. <laughs> You're probably 30 at Sadly, that time. Sadly, I do remember. But, um, yeah. but Tyler came forward and went against, uh, you know, his family and where he was working. He was brushed off by Elizabeth Holmes and also the other person who was charged, Sonny Balwani. And even his own grandfather ignored him, tossed it to the side, and tried to shut him down. And thankfully, Tyler went on to tell regulators. He went on to work with John Carreyu and exposed the fraud. And it came out this year after long suspicion. And in June, federal grand jury indicted Holmes and Balwani on charges of wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and their roles in the schemes and in September, Theranos was actually shut down for good. So you saw pretty much in the news the fall of someone who, the, someone and a lot of someones who were supposed to be the next big thing. What can we learn from this? It's not that a black turtleneck is everlasting. It's that whistleblowers are valuable and hotlines are necessary and the tone at the top <laughs> well you know? I mean, and what you see with this especially in the whistleblower aspect and a lot of the uh sentinel award winners that we've had at the acfe and in other whistleblower cases that not being believed at first mm -hmm. and that or, or really that skepticism like no this uh, as mandy mentioned that you know this is a hot stock this is a, a hot item within the valley or within in any industry for that matter and you don't want to believe the bad things it looks good it looks promising and you know so there's this aura that's created around it uh, and, it, and the concept appears innovative but when we start getting to, especially as fraud examiners, we want to look to see, well, you know, let's open up the hood and see if there's actually an engine in here and how does it perform? It may look shiny on the outside, but is there really a good product here to invest in, whether it's public, venture capital, whatever the case may be. And you know, once it got into it, and, and as this whistleblower indicated, you know, it, it kind of fell apart like this house of cards and it went very, very fast, as Mandy said just, uh, and we watched it uh, really just un unfold over the last uh, few months in particular. Yeah, and you know, one thing that we pointed out in I think a Fraud Magazine article that, you know, very smart people can do some, make some really dumb choices. Uh, you know, we, I mean, you saw that with Madoff. You mm -hmm. know, there's that inherent <clears throat> trust of someone who looks extremely intelligent. And when the elite are following something, you just, you assume that, well, they must know what they're doing. Yeah. So that skepticism that many of you 
uh, the professional skepticism, <laughs> that's where it comes in. So, Absolutely. Bruce, you want to talk about number two? Yeah, the second that is on our list, the uh, Donsk Bank CEO uh, resigning over a 234 billion U.S. or you know 200 billion euro money laundering scandal. If you look at the uh, the uh, article on Fraud Magazine, you get a little bit more in the details. But in general, it was about an eight-year estimated period, based out of a branch in, in Estonia. Um, uh, Donsk Bank had to take over a number, or rather. Uh, bought a, a number of banks, and one of those being a, a Finnish bank that had a branch uh, in Estonia. And so once uh, they started implementing you know, their controls and putting that IT platform, it did not include this particular branch in Estonia. And one of the things that was you know, happening was you had billions of dollars going through this one branch related to outside activities, or rather, you know, outside uh, account holders. Uh, interestingly enough, there were 6,000 customers between that time period, uh, and I think they only had uh, roughly, you know, twice as many account holders. So if you think about that, the impacted uh, money laundering accounts or suspicious accounts that were related to this one branch of this you know, fairly large bank. It involved 32 different currencies. In a statement that once this came to light, the CEO saying it's clear that Donsk Bank has failed to live up to its responsibility in the case of possible money laundering in Estonia. And what's beyond that though is how this is going to um, unveil itself. I would not be surprised if this goes uh, back even further because we're, we're only aware of when you know, this particular uh, Finnish bank was, was taken over. But uh, if you go back before that, in fact, uh, if you look at the fraudmagazine.com article, you'll, you'll read about uh, one of our uh, former uh, regents, Joe Ford, uh, high-ranking within the banking industry in the United States, uh, recently retired from that role, and, uh, but former leading, uh, leading uh, official with the FBI was saying that, you know, look, even uh, the Russian top economic officials were saying you should really look at this bank. And if that's the case, and if you've got a, a Russian official saying, hey, look, there may be some issues with this one particular bank, that's a big red flag. Yeah. That's an enormous red flag. And, and a lot of that is coming to light now. Uh, you'll start to see probably you know, more, or, or rather, uh, more publications, both civil and criminal in, uh, in, in nature, as authorities, both regulators and law enforcement in the United States uh, and other countries around the world start to investigate this. As those transactions come to light, it's going to, uh, very similar to Panama Papers, it's going to impact a lot of different countries uh, and shine a light on some of the nefarious activity that's been going on that resulted in uh, these billions of dollars going through this, this one branch in Estonia. And this kind of reminds me of the NotPetya uh, cybercrime that happened with Maersk, you know, and Danska has said that they didn't move over their IT platform, they didn't migrate a lot of those tools, and I'm imagining it's because of uh, the costs involved. You know, they they had it set up with their central banks, but not with something they acquired. And, you know, Maersk even said, you know, it was just so cost prohibitive to 
to uh, push forward and do these extra secure extra security things that they should have done. So you saw that you know the hesitancy to to put these controls in place might have cost more than than it should have. Well, I think more than just cost, it could have been some pushback yeah. uh, from yeah. uh, those within the region when you start making acquisitions like that. I mean, there are other you know, non-monetary uh, influences. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, and perhaps even those individuals, and that's what's going to be unveiled, I, I'm, I'm quite sure it's soon enough, uh, that we're saying, no, you don't need to be looking at this, mm-hmm. which goes to, you know, to tone issues and making mm-hmm. sure that those who are in charge of this, uh, whether locally within that country or outside, if it's a global headquarters, to make sure that they've got the, the right influence, that they have the right controls in place. Uh, to look for these types of transactions. Shall I take us to take, number three? Take us to number three. And these are not in any kind of order. True. Uh, we just picked the top top five, but these are not in any, you know, greatest to least order. But the largest healthcare fraud takedown in the U.S. happened this year. And I'm going to read you some stats because these numbers will tell you everything about how huge this really was. So... Largest ever nationwide healthcare fraud takedown, 601 defendants, $2 billion in fraud losses, 84 cases involving the illegal prescription of distribution of opioids. The case spanned 58 federal districts and charged 165 medical professionals. More than, and so on the flip side, you know, you see how huge this was. So you can only assume that the people working to take it down, that was a huge number as well. So a thousand law enforcement personnel took part in the operation. Yeah, this will be state, federal, local. Yeah, more Um, than 350 Office of Inspector Generals, which is huge. And a lot of the things that were taken down or prosecuted against were kickback schemes, medical billing, Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE fraud, co-conspirators for providing beneficiary information to providers and false billing. So this really did run the gamut of of a lot of what you as anti-fraud professionals work on every single day. In fact, we just had someone in our community let us know that she was a part of this. Uh, She worked at a hospital and she was a part of this and worked on this. And what we can take from this, and this is something that you mentioned in your address at our last ACFE Global Fraud Conference, is the value and importance of collaboration and working across uh, borders, across agencies, and coming together to, to, to bring something to light where you, working alone could never have happened. No, but when you've got a, a strike force, which is likely in, in something like this, they're focusing on their area, their region, but it's it's much more than just you know one city or one locale. It it is um, you know from a broader perspective, it is a global thing. But in particular to this this case, I mean, in my opinion, it's it's kind of the tip of the iceberg when you've got 
when you consider the volume, millions of, of transactions within uh, in, in some of the, the government programs that you mentioned there with, with CMS and TRICARE, mm -hmm. and then we start to include uh, the, the private carriers as well within the United States, you're talking about a tremendous amount of information, a tremendous amount of data. And when you've got that, you know, so many providers, so many people who are benefiting from that, and then you, you, when you put that scale that large, you've now opened up to fraudsters who see just a really big opportunity for them. And because, I mean, even with just uh, you know, the number of the thousand law enforcement that you mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago. When you're dealing with millions of transactions, there's only so much that they can get to. And if they're able to go in and, and look at two billion US in terms of fraud related to just what they were working on in the 84 cases, my goodness, if you know more resources toward that. I mean, we see it at, on acv.com within the communities. We have a, a healthcare uh, fraud community set up because it is such an enormous problem. And traveling around the world working uh, at our conferences and meeting with our chapters and, and, and other members, uh, healthcare fraud is just a, a big an issue outside the United States, as well as it is in this particular case that we mentioned here as, as number three. Thank you to anyone listening who may have worked on this. I imagine we have members who, who helped work on this case. Um, we may not know who you are, but thank you for your, for your work this year. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and and it, quite a few, I'm sure, that uh, law enforcement relied yeah. on within those systems that were fraud examiners helping from an IT perspective or from an accounting perspective. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's... Yeah, we only have the numbers from the Justice Department related to what their particular yeah. efforts were. It doesn't include all the, um, you know, the, the those in the fraud examination field uh, that helped out with that. All right, well, let's look at our number four uh, fraud on the list. We have another uh, huge uh, loss. This one uh, in India at the Punjab uh, National Bank is a $2 billion uh, U.S. loss. Estimated time period over about seven years, and of course, when we're starting to look at the you know, how big a fraud is uh, in terms of that pecuniary loss, as you look at the report to the nations, the longer it goes, typically that just starts to grow, and sometimes, and in these cases, exponentially. But this one involved uh, again at the Punjab National Bank in India, Narav Modi, sometimes referred to as the jeweler to the stars, number of people, a number of um, actors, actresses uh, in Hollywood and Bollywood as well, uh, Priyanka Chopra, uh, Naomi Watts, Kate Winslet, uh, some of the people that uh, Modi had, had worked with, came to a halt uh, earlier this year when uh, the Punjab National Bank, which is the second largest state-run bank in India, filed a police complaint against him uh, and another jeweler, as well as other people, alleging that they had conspired with staff inside the bank to defraud it of, at least at that time, uh, the initial results were at 43 million U.S. After further investigation, they found that the fraud was a little bit closer to 2 billion uh, U.S. That's a, a huge leap. Yeah. One, again, once they start going in and start digging into it, and, and you get back years and years and years with the relationships that Modi had established within the bank, it just kept growing. Regulators discovered that he conspired with those within the bank, obtaining, uh, or at least fraudulently obtaining, letters of undertaking, undertaking or LOUs uh, within the bank. 
those then get out uh, into the SWIFT network and affecting uh, other countries and other banks and, and things that would have been purchased with those, um, those transactions uh, as it goes out into the world. Modi fled India shortly after the scandal broke uh, and is still considered a fugitive at this uh, Facebook Live. So if you think about what can we learn from this, I mean, the first thing that jumped out to me when I read this is something that uh, we have talked about for, for many, many years here at the ACFE, and not to just to focus on the external frauds, but which are very, very important, obviously, and especially in the financial services industry uh, with uh, cyber uh, crime related issue and money laundering in the case, but also the internal aspect, which affects not just financial services, but so many different businesses around the world. I mean, effectively, you know, controls would have been in place, but are they being uh, followed? Uh, and in this case, you, know, you have uh, bank employees that are allowing this to take this fraudulent lines of credit to mm-hmm. take place, mm-hmm. which exacerbated the fraud uh, to where it, it grew to nearly two, two billion U.S. over that time period. It also is is right in line with keeping the technology that you do have up to date in every aspect and training employees. And something I know this was in a fraud magazine article or interview. I think it was a recent one, but somebody always knows, you know, somebody within this organization knew uh, the employees he was working with. And that's when uh, you know that maybe you need to look at your hotline and your open door policies to come forward with things. But people clearly knew this was going on. I would probably I would even guess to say more than three or four people knew what was going on. Um, So it just reiterates that culture of of reporting fraud and fostering that you can come forward uh, and and that's you know like fraud awareness week just a few mm-hmm. weeks ago is having that initiative and adopting that culture as you just said mandy internally more people they're more likely to use those hotlines they're more likely to use the controls and, and the processes that you have uh, in place. Uh, and this is a, a prime example of that. And what's our last one, Mandy, for so the list? So our last, but certainly not least. It's still uh, ongoing. <laughs> it is still ongoing. The 1MDB scandal, uh, the former Malaysian prime minister was ar- arrested. And this was, from our perspective, a long time coming. We have worked with Claire Brown, who, Claire Rucastle Brown, who, uh, with the Sarak report, exposed this fraud years ago. Uh, We've had her speak at our events. She most recently spoke last year, or I'm sorry, this year. I keep thinking we're already in 2019, but we are still in 2018. So we've known about this, and Najib Razak was ousted in a May election. It was the first time the Barijan National Party was ousted after they won its end of their independence from Britain in 57. So this was a huge deal. And this actually broke right before our conference because I remember speaking with Claire and she went back to Malaysia right after this happened and a new prime minister was elected and welcomed her back. She hadn't been back to Malaysia since she started reporting on all of this. There was also a whistleblower involved in this as well, Xavier Justo. And so we've been following this for a while. And there's also 
there's a Hollywood connection, which makes for yeah. any juicy story. Joe Lo, who is was an associate of the prime minister, the former prime minister, used a lot of this money fundled through 1MDB to really hang out with movie stars, yeah. you know, live the good life. The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Red Granite Pictures was a company that funded the Wolf of Wall Street that is allegedly this money came from there. Right. Jewelry to the stars. Uh, so this had every element of a motion picture and I imagine it will be a, um, yeah. a motion picture very soon. Hopefully stiff. not starring anyone that was uh, yeah, uh, yeah. involved. Uh, but there's been books. There's a new book, Billion Dollar Whale, who kind of chronicles Tom Wright, chronicles Joe Lowe. And actually, just yesterday, Joe Lowe was charged in absentia. Yeah. Uh, he is on the run, much like uh, Modi is. But this was a huge case that finally saw... You know, uh, I don't want to say a happy ending, but a very positive outcome as far as someone being arrested and a new party coming into play, a new prime minister. And Claire was kind of vindicated, you know, everything sure. she had reported on. And what we can take away from this, again, I feel like this is the whistleblower hour, but the value of coming forward and not giving up. And many of you... Uh, I know we have a lot of people in our membership who are former whistleblowers. Those red flags were there. Uh, Claire worked with Xavier Justeau mm -hmm. to expose those red flags and really bring them to light and really shine a light on what happens when you just keep going to do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, this one went on for, or has been going on for, mm -hmm. for years, if Five not a decade. Years. You know, yeah. when we started looking back at uh, Najib's uh, rule, um, I mean, I remember when Claire, in 2016, uh, she was going to speak at our Asia-Pacific conference in Singapore. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and she could not, I mean, she could get into Singapore, but was afraid because of, you know, the, the proximity and the location to um, Kuala Lumpur and to Malaysia. And so we had to uh, Skype her in essentially, yeah. and, and getting that feed in there because of the fear that she had. So this has been going on for a very long time. What made it so newsworthy this year is that, you know, Najib is removed from power and, you know, and, and then the arrests are forthcoming. You know, we at the ACFE work with the uh, Malaysian Anti-Corruption uh, mm -hmm. uh, Commission and, and watch their valiant fight to try to, to tackle as much as they can. And, you know, th this is... What's interesting to me, and I've, you know, in a part of what you were saying and adding to it, is this is not a rogue employee or a couple of people within that you, you, know, you, you may have missed in terms of the controls or something like that. This is the prime minister. And, you know, and relating back to him and in those cronies uh, associated with Najib. So this one is a, a huge, huge case. Goes back to what we mentioned when we first started, it's not just the pecuniary laws. It is, this is a fundamental shift in the livelihoods of uh, millions of people. Stay tuned for that. His trials, Najib's trials will begin in February of next year. And uh, we'll see how that unfolds. Yeah.
you know, we've got a few more dishonorable mentions, and these are our top five, but uh, as you all know as fraud examiners, there's a lot more out there. Uh, there's a lot that uh, hopefully you're able to share with us uh, via Facebook and, and, and let us know what, what, what's happened in your area. And, and for those who are tuning in as um, uh, members uh, and watching this, it's interesting, uh, just yesterday we had indictments uh, in the Panama Papers, mm-hmm. which started 2016 as well. So you know, this list will keep growing. But again, if you want more in-depth, go to fraudmagazine.com, uh, read about those, uh, look at the post associated with this Facebook Live as well. And yeah, so as Bruce said, thank you for joining us today. I will give you a little sneak peek at something we will be doing more of. We are hoping to do monthly Facebook Lives with some of our key staff here uh, about news when it breaks and really dig into what's going on, what we can learn, and just be a little more current, kind of our current events, daily update, you know. We won't try and pretend we're SNL or anything like that, but, but, but are, yeah, look for that. There's a lot of fraud out yeah. there. We could yeah. do this a long time. So. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Again, you can find more of the story at fraudmagazine.com slash 2018 top five frauds. Bye. Bye.